Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the CONCACAF Champions League Review Show. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another special edition of the Foyer Scenes Fire American Soccer Show. As we get ready for the start of the 2023 CONCACAF Champions League and the first leg of the round of 16 already in the books. As we get ready to talk to those people who cover those teams from the U.S., Canada, and Mexico in this CONCACAF Champions League, the Continental Club Tournament of CONCACAF. And as we get ready to review these games, you know, I have to tell you, maybe things are changing in CONCACAF. Maybe we are seeing a certain power falling apart and not doing the job that they would normally do. And that's talking about Liga MX. Because as of right now, if you think about it, there is concern, there is worry, there is a problem up and down the league in Mexico that maybe they are not the power they used to be. Now, We can't just say that because, oh, it's only been one year that uh, a Liga MX side has not won a CONCACAF Champions League because it was the Seattle Sounders last year that did the deed. But when you look up and down the scores in the first leg, and not only... Do you see what's been going on in the opening leg of the round of 16? The only team right now that you can say that maybe has an edge currently, currently, would be Club Leon. And normally you would not say that because... In my view, in many tournaments past, Club Leon would always falter in the opening round matches and they would not be able to move on into the quarterfinals. Doesn't matter who they play against. To me, Club Leon will always be one of the weaker sides to not only be a part of the CONCACAF Champions League, but qualify for it. Now, they may do well inside Liga MX, but when they get to the international tournament stage for club competition, to me, they are the ones that just don't know how to advance out of the round of 16. But... If we take a look at Gors in these opening league games, I mean, 
what can you say? Honduran powerhouse Olympia spanking Atlas 4-1. Now, even though Atlas did convert to save themselves because now they have an away goal. The matter is this, because if Olympia goes down to Mexico and pulls an away goal themselves, that means nothing for Atlas. They're going to have to score at least four to tie this match and force penalties. When you look at Pachuca, who have been in the past a juggernaut in Liga MX on the international stage, whether you want to go with CONCACAF Champions League or the original Superliga between MLS and Liga MX, they could not score in Honduras against Motagua. Now, granted, Motagua didn't score either, so that still may be advantage Pachuca, but if Motagua can pull an away goal or two, in Mexico could be an advantage. We'll have to wait and see what's going to happen during these second legs, but let me just say this right now. There's probably a bit of a fear factor going on up and down in Mexico right now, and all these pundits in Mexico right now of what is happening on the professional levels of their football clubs and, of course, what's been going on with the Mexican national team. Do I think it's going to last long? To be honest with you, I have no idea. And I'm not going to speculate towards that description because I really don't know how long this whole situation is going to be. They can easily, to be honest with everyone, they can easily turn it around and bring back the dominance that they've had for such a long period of time. But what they do know is this. They do have a strong rivalry with the U.S., And very soon, Canada will be joining them somewhere down the road. It's off to a good start, but we'll have to wait and see what will happen once this particular tournament edition ends and the brand new tournament of the CONCACAF Champions League begins when we get to the first round where you will have 22 teams fighting for 11 spots. And those five automatic spots advancing to the round of 16 next year. That is right now the challenge for what's going to happen with these clubs in Mexico. And not just in Mexico, but in the U.S. and Canada as well. As We will get all the majority spots in the North Zone. And the Central Zone and the Caribbean Zone will get their designated spots as well. We'll have to wait and see. But without a doubt, without a doubt, 
I think what we are seeing right now is the start confederation getting stronger and getting better. I am not a fool and nor am I going to say out of nowhere that we have turned the tide or that this confederation has turned the tide. I don't think that's the case. No, I think it's off to a solid start. Victor Montagliani, the Canadian representative who is now president once again of this confederation for another four-year term, let's be honest, has done an amazing job creating better competition within this confederation and trying to include everyone from club to national team tournaments up and down the chain. And yes, even for the women's game as well, now that there will be a official women's Gold Cup tournament. We are seeing improved play in areas where either the football is improving or nations or islands like the Dominican Republic, like Puerto Rico, and like Cuba, even though they've had their football programs, now they're getting better and now they're getting stronger. Just like what happened with Dominican Republic in the Under-20 World Cup, that looks like a brand new cycle to me and a brand new generation that's going to lead the way for that island that's normally a baseball island to now becoming a football island. And now that we've seen Puerto Rico qualifying for the Gold Cup preliminaries this upcoming June through League C and now promoted to League B in the next edition of the CONCACAF Nations League, which will begin this upcoming fall. We are starting to see the fruits of that labor finally blossoming. Make no mistake, my friends, UEFA and CONMEBOL, or Europe and South America, will always be the top two continents that are the strongest and that they are basically the upper echelon of world football, no matter what. But when you're talking about this confederation of CONCACAF, challenging as the number three between Asia and Africa, they can win that war, get stronger and better, and more programs come in that develop better. That is the challenge right now. And when they are considered on par as the third confederation behind the top two, then and only then can they compete for one of the top two spots as the top confederation of world football on this planet. At this point in time, right now, nowhere near it. Absolutely, definitely 
nowhere near it. And that's not because of the only has 10 national teams. That's because all the clubs that represent the top nations in Europe and the and all 10 nations in South America they have had a head start in anything and everything comes to international cup competitions for club tournaments and for national team tournaments. It's called reality, ladies and gentlemen. It's always okay to, you know, set aloft goals. No matter how lofty you think it could be and that it can be, but you also have to take it with a grain of salt of what's ahead of you and who the true kings of the world sport are. Until we get there as a whole in this confederation, but that doesn't mean we have to be grounded and that does not mean we have to accept being third in the pecking order, but that's a good start that is a very good start to what we need and that is the start we have to look at when we get to international tournaments for club competition and national team competition within CONCACAF yes they have to be stronger yes they have to be better yes it must be improved but until we get there all the way Just show some patience. We'll get there eventually. But for now, it's been absolutely fantastic to watch what we have seen so far in the opening round. In the round of 16, the first leg matches of the CONCACAF Champions League. And ladies and gentlemen, it's time to review those matches in the CONCACAF Champions League as I've got a great show for you tonight. Joining me right now is the beat writer of Orlando City, representing the Orlando Sentinel, Austin David, joins me tonight about that big first leg scoreless draw against Tigris, U-A-N-L. Austin, good evening. Welcome back. And how are you, my friend? I am doing pretty good. Um, Yeah, it was a... It's not often you can say an exciting nil-nil draw, but I think that's exactly how I would describe it. Um, I think you can agree with me on this because, I mean, we're not fools here. The Universitario Stadium that Tigris calls home is probably one of the most difficult places to play against that club, especially in that atmosphere, by any visiting team, whether it be from Liga MX or international club competition and Orlando city basically came out with a flourish. I, I, yeah, I guess you could say a flourish uh, again, nil, nil draw is, is it's hard to say a flourish, but I, I would say that they held themselves. Well, uh, they definitely proved that they are not just in it for the competition. Just, just, you know, Bailey making on a second of their teeth. They're actually competitive. They're taking on one of the best teams in Liga MX and, and, at their home stadium, making it hard for them and almost scoring a couple of times as well. Uh, Pedro Galese had came up with eight massive saves. He was named to the uh, team of the first leg 
by CONCACAF and very deservedly so kind of kept Orlando in the game throughout the majority. And they set themselves up in perfect position for them to come back on Wednesday and be able to play in front of their fans in their home stadium and get a result. And that's really all they need is, is a result to move on. Exactly. And that's it. And, uh, you know, obviously we still have away goals in this tournament, which is really, really good and uh, tough not to get an away goal because obviously if you could have put, if, if Orlando could have punished them, I think it really would have put their backs against the wall uh, coming into Explora Stadium uh, this upcoming Wednesday. And to me, I just think whatever Oscar Perez's game plan was, I mean, obviously you want a goal here or there, no, no doubt about it, but... I mean, I think it worked to a, to a T there for him. I mean, what did he say to the Orlando media after the match was over? I mean, honestly, he was very happy with the result, all things considered. Uh, he knew the kind of the the ramifications of what it you know what it meant coming back to Orlando with a point in hand, especially a, a scoreless draw, a shutout. You know, this this team hasn't let up a goal this entire season, which is, again, saying quite a bit. Um, but he, he said, you know, it was it was you know, great atmosphere and all of that, but he said it was uh, players did a great job, and uh, he said there were some things to improve on, but in the second half, they created more chances, and they could have walked away with more than just a draw. They had some good chances. Martin Ojeda had some uh, good opportunities on goal late, but – He'll he'll take it, you know, to to play against Tigres. He said it wasn't easy, uh, but the defensive under, understanding of the game from his back line uh, is exactly what he wanted tonight or on the night. Now I have to ask you this: How much of a handful in your mind was Andre Pierre Ginac, uh to that Orlando back line? Uh, I I know they they held their own, and when Galese had to make saves, he made those saves. But still, though. Uh, the tall Frenchman uh, playing over uh, for Tigres in Mexico, he was a handful for Orlando. It's amazing you guys came out unscathed from his play. It, it genuinely seemed like every time the ball entered the offensive third, he was on it and he was taking a shot. Um, he just seemed to be completely everywhere. He, con- he contributed majority of the chances for Tigres on the, on the night, I think. Uh, statistically, he had nine shots out of the 22 that they took as a team, uh, but he had uh, five on target compared to the rest of the team that had two or three. So uh, the fact that he's not going to be in Orlando when this team, uh, when these two teams play each other again, uh, is going to be a massive difference for uh, the, the way both teams kind of approach the game. Obviously, Tigres is going to have to try and rely on somebody else uh, who was their main contributor of chances offensively and uh, Orlando defensively isn't going to have to worry about him as much. So um, honestly, they, they, they could have done it better. Ginoc pick up uh, an injury in this match. Cause I think I, I know the red card got reversed into a yellow through VAR. Uh, and we'll get to that moment in a minute, but did he pick up an injury? Ginoc? No, he uh, Zinyak is uh, not vaccinated, and in order to enter the country, uh, oh. he has to be vaccinated in order to play, so he is not allowed. 
wow, that is a turn of the events that I didn't even expect, and I guess or advantage to Orlando. Well, either way, I mean, it was interesting when uh, until we saw the replays. Obviously, um, you know, Zinok gets up, shoves down. Well, he didn't really shove him down, but he shoved Schlegel when they were both trying to battle for the ball uh, late in the first half, and. You know, that red card came out of nowhere. And, I mean, you were probably thinking, wow, Orlando's going to be up a man for you throughout the entire second half until VAR intervened. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's the old saying, uh, getting CONCACAF. And, <laughs> boy, or, Orlando Orlando was so close to getting the uh, the reverse CONCACAF thing. Uh, but, unfortunately, that, that did not happen for them. And... Uh, they they weren't able to uh, capitalize on it because VAR it now exists in in the Concacaf Champions League. So uh, because of that, uh, you know, I, I feel that was fair. I didn't think it was a red card uh, in the first place. I thought that it was it was a yellow for sure. But as much as I would have liked to see Orlando play up a man, um, they still got a result out of it. And you know, if if it goes back the other way. You know, if Orlando is able to take advantage of a VAR in CONCACAF on the other side of it, then I'll be happy with that. Now, besides um, Pareja uh, getting uh, uh, getting uh, the interview from him after the match, uh, did any of the other players come to the podium to uh, talk to the media? Was Schlegel interviewed? Because, you know, that's... That, that's for him a one-on-one marking must have been a really tall task for him to handle that. Yeah, Ro- Rodri was was in Gignac's head quite a little bit, uh, especially as the game went about and you know he did not score. Um, but he did not talk after the game. In fact, the the, the way that the Concacaf kind of handled the press conference is they just had the two coaches and then they had a mixed zone outside of it. I was obviously not in Mexico for the game, so I was not able to talk to any of the players, um, but. I talked to some of the players uh, at training earlier uh, this week before they're obviously heading off to their next league game tomorrow in DC and just talked a little bit about the experience for them and knew, you know, obviously very uh, unique and uh, talked to Mikey holiday. Who's 20 years old, one of his first ever experiences like that. And he was just blown away by how loud it was, how intense it was, how it just kind of felt like a entirely different experience from what he's, experience before uh but to his credit he did really well uh for a 20 year old playing out on the on the right hand side of the defense and being able to handle himself the way he did i was very very impressive from from the young kid and uh you know he's he's been tabbed as the uh the right back for the future for orlando city so it having having him have a good performance in that kind of situation was definitely a boost for the lions just out of curiosity, I don't know if you have any news or not, but uh, we all saw Pedro Galese uh, taking two, if you want to say, two shots to the head, uh, maybe a bump to the head. I mean, I don't know how terrible or how uh, hard those shots were, but uh, twice need the referee to at least blow the whistle so that he could get some attention uh, for uh, somewhat of a head injury. Have you heard any news? Is he okay? 
Did he develop a concussion of some sort? Do you think he'll be available for that round of 16 match, second leg, uh, the return at Explora? Yeah, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be. He was at training. He was doing work off to the side, doing some recovery work. He was in good spirits. He was laughing, joking with his team. Didn't look like he was being held back in any way, shape, or form. He wasn't on the injury report game coming up on Saturday. So, uh, to my knowledge, he's he's good to go. That's great to hear, uh, Austin. And uh, obviously, uh, hoping to see Orlando uh, do some more damage uh, against uh, one of the tougher teams in Liga MX. I mean, everyone always talks about Guadalajara, Chivas, and Club America, uh, Cruz Azul, but definitely Tigres is one of those teams that you got to watch out for. Um, what type of crowd are you expecting on Wednesday night at Explora? I mean, obviously, uh, uh, you'll expect maybe some of the Epcot kids, if they're going to take off, to <laughs> come over to uh, fill in the stadium, depending on if they are Tigres supporters or not. But... Um, what are you expecting as a type of crowd that's going to be coming back uh, to downtown Orlando? I, I expect a fairly full crowd. I know that there's at least a couple thousand of Tigres supporters that are going to be traveling for this game uh, that will be at the stadium. And I would assume, you know, at the very least 23, 24,000, it's, it's tough to have a, a midweek game um, considering a lot of the, the kids have school the next day and whatnot. But, um, they do have uh, spring break for a lot of the colleges here. And so that could be a benefit for them just to be able to get more players to, or more people to come in and watch the game and uh, fill out the stadium. Cause I know they've, the, the team has very much been pushing uh, as much as they can to try and get this, this thing filled out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess finally for me would be this um, Austin. Um, what do you think the strategy for Orlando should be uh, in this second leg? Obviously, they're going to be home. We all know that. But uh, what do you think they're going to need to do differently? Or do you think they have to remain the same how they played down in Mexico? Oh, it's definitely going to be a very different kind of approach to it. Um, the way that they set up originally was in a very defensive kind of shape. Um, they had Ramiro Enrique who started up top. He was kind of very fast pressing the back line and uh, not letting them be comfortable in the back as they played out. And his status is kind of in question. He did have to leave at halftime. Martino Heda moved from the 10 spot into the basically a false nine. And they played a very much more defensive shape. Uh, somehow that ended up working out for them as they created more opportunities throughout that and I think being at home you know having having a lot more kind of benefit of playing in their comfortable environment they may go a little bit more kind of pragmatic formation uh, Oscar always likes to use the word protagonist when he talks about the team he wants his team to be protagonist of the game especially at home where he wants it to be a fortress and while he's going to approach this one tactically, I think he's still going to go a little bit more offensive than he did in Mexico. Yeah, I agree with you there. I, I think we all know what Oscar's going to try and do. And obviously the hope is to get this done within the second 90 minutes at home. I mean, 
I mean, we all hope it doesn't go to penalties. We'll have to wait and see what happens, but there's plenty of time to worry about that when we get there in a couple of days or so. But Austin, I just wanted to say thank you very much for joining me tonight. Can't wait to have you back on next next Friday to review that second leg, and uh, we'll see what Orlando can do to advance into the quarters. Thanks again for coming on, and I'll talk to you again next week. All right. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And that's Austin David the beat writer for Orlando City at the Orlando Sentinel, as once again Orlando coming away with that scoreless draw against Tigres. And that was a big, big result for Orlando. Make no mistake, ladies and gentlemen, that is a big result for Orlando going away to one of the most difficult places to play in Mexico. Once again, there's always the altitude. That's going to be a problem at most of these places in Mexico. Uh, you got to hope to, and pray that when you're facing one of these teams, that altitude will not be a factor when you are on the road down there against one of those Mexican teams. And I can remember back in 2018 when the New York Red Bulls had to face uh, Club Tijuana in the quarterfinals. They didn't because they're closer to the California border of the part of the United States. And, um, I mean, they were able to go down there and get a 2-0 victory at the Caliente uh, Stadium, the Estadio Caliente, to get that uh, big victory against Club Tijuana. And, of course, sweep them in the quarterfinals of the CONCACAF Champions League back in the day. So always ready to go and always ready to discuss as we get ready to talk more CONCACAF Champions League. And once again, another scoreless draw for Another MLS side as they headed down to El Salvador to take on Allianz FC. And, you know, as we wait for Matt Ralph, now with Philadelphia soccer now, teaming up with Pittsburgh soccer now is John Krasinski as he takes care of the Philadelphia side of things. As we await his arrival, and here he is right now, Matt Ralph, now officially with Philadelphia Soccer Now. Matt, welcome back, and uh, how has the new site been for you so far? Uh, well, it's, first of all, it's good to be here, and yeah, it's been great. Uh, we have, you know, it's been a lot of work to kind of get everything going. We're still working on the archive, but, you know, just have a a lot of the same people are, are 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 still writing for the site, and everyone's pretty excited about you know the new uh, the new sort of chapter. And uh, yeah, we're just we're moving. We got all kinds of union games going on, and all kinds of stuff in Philly soccer. So it's, it's been exciting. That's great to hear, and uh, you know, good luck with that. And uh, hopefully, you and John can still uh, well, I shouldn't say still, but like hopefully, you and John will uh, collaborate a little bit better now that you're taking care of the east side of the state, and he's taking care of the west side of the state. So as we uh, move on here, scoreless draw between Philadelphia Union and Allianz FC down in uh, San Salvador. Uh, I have to ask you this: Are we now going to have this these matches sponsored by Alpo? 
<laughs> I knew I knew that that that's the first thing you got to bring up. I mean, uh, we don't even need to talk about the game. I mean, the dog, the dog, uh, as we find out from other footage, essentially being led onto the field to delay the game. Um, it was yeah, it was an incredible moment. Uh, <laughs> I think Alpha should 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 be on the phone with. Uh, with CONCACAF and inquiring about advertising uh, possibilities as we speak. Yeah, yeah, I saw that video too, and I'm like, what the hell is this? How do these people allow the dog to just open the gate, let him waltz in, and let him go right after the ball? It was crazy. Yeah, yeah. And you almost can't tell, is it, was was the person just like trying to, I don't know, and it, like try to pet the dog, and it was just really bad. At, like, or did it wasn't intentional, or they tried to make it look like maybe they were trying to catch the dog, and they just let the dog go. But I think it was. It appears to be it was intentional to to, to slow the game down, and maybe uh, you know, just one of those things where this where you're trying to make things um, mix things up a little bit for your for your visitors <laughs> from another country. Uh yeah, exactly. I mean, look, I don't mind a doggy shot every once in a while, but, you know, that was crazy. But, you know, look, these things happen, and now we know how these dogs are able to run onto the field. We <laughs> he probably somehow, some way, they probably had some sort of treat for him. All right, go out, run, take your run out, go ahead, we don't care. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I mean, obviously, anytime you go down to Central America – you got to hope and pray that everyone comes out unscathed, that you hope the result goes in your favor. Did, did you feel that way for the union, that the, the result, even though scoreless, went in their favor? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, I said a number of times going into it that take a, you take a draw. Um, you know, you would, you would prefer a 1-1 one, one draw because you get in the way goal that way. But if you have, if you have to draw, but – if you're if you're going to have a draw and and no one gets hurt, then that's that's a good result for going into a, you know an, an environment that either way was going to be difficult uh, with the fans there. They had you know decent support there that night. It wasn't sold out or anything, but you know still it's 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 a hostile environment. There, I think you could probably count the number of Union fans in the in the crowd uh, from from the crowd shots. But you know to to get a draw in that environment when you put on top of that the fact that the field was just really pretty much unplayable. Uh, I think it's a good result for them. And knowing that they're coming back now that they didn't, you know, pick up an injury or, you know, a situation where, you know, someone, you know, like they did when they were in Saprissa the first time, first, their first Champions League game where, you know, it looked like Kai Wagner was maybe not going to be able to walk, walk away from the field with a, with a just horrendous tackle um, on him late in the game. So I think, you know, for for the most part, I mean, do you want to win that game? Well, sure, of course you do. But um, I think, you know, the strategy really was to get a result, and they got that, and now they come home. Um, you know, we'll see what they do on Saturday, tomorrow against Chicago Fire with, with rotation. And then Tuesday night, you know, they get a chance to really, you know, pitch another clean sheet, get a goal or two, and, and they're good. No, I agree with you. And, you know, I, I, I mean, that stadium has been horrendous by, you know, basically being a mud pile. I mean, I don't blame uh, how the union tried to play. I'm not saying you have to play scared, but 
and try not to get hurt, but especially down there, I mean, that that was an absolute disgrace. I know they're building a brand new national team stadium. I don't know what the plans are, whether to keep the Estadio Cruz Catalan around or demolish it, but if they do keep it around, they got to fix that field because that's just absolutely terrible. I don't care what anyone says. they got to fix yeah, that and, field, period. Yeah, and the fact that they they hadn't even been playing on it because it was so bad, and then all of a sudden, I mean, it didn't seem like the coach, the, that they were too happy about it either. I mean, if you watch from on the balance of the game, it, 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 it from my viewpoint anyway, it seemed to hurt them as much as it hurt the union. I mean, you know, they had some some promising looking attacks, and ball ball was ball was slowing down for them. You know, they were trying to really actually play the ball on the ground. They had some decent playmakers, and and it just the ball just didn't do what it's supposed to do on a normal soccer field. And for the union, I think they figured out early that their their best hope, and and they are a direct team. I'm you know I'm not I'm not pretending they aren't, but they kind of figured out their best hope was to just lop it downfield and hope that. You know, you know Donovan or, or Sullivan could get on the end of it and do something, but yeah, it, it definitely took away. Uh, you know, I've, I've tried to reserve any judgment of any player performances because of how you know how terrible the field conditions were, and I think you saw some signs of you know talent on both ends, and I think you know Alianza is a is a good team with some you know some some playmakers, but the field really hurt them as well. Yeah, I mean, I don't know who their head coach is. I mean, I'll, I'll go look it up real quick. But uh, obviously, you can definitely say that he was not happy, whoever the head coach was. He probably plays a different type of style that he felt should have been in favor of his side. And you can tell they they were just <laughs> – I don't want to, you know, flounder if you want to go that far. It's up to you, obviously. But um, at least it looked like it nullified – the type of game that he wanted to establish. Yeah, I definitely think that was the case. And I mean, where the union style of play tends to, you know, it, you know, they tend to enjoy the chaos and, you know, their whole sort of approach is, Hey, we'll turn the ball over and then we'll get it right back. And, 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 you know, you know, counter press and all of that. And, you know, they were, they were, they were, you know, so there, it wasn't like, oh, suddenly Union played a different style because they are direct and they do play in chaos. But it just, they weren't, they, you know, they had 200 some passes that weren't completed and, you know, they just, the, you know, they just weren't really able to be them, themselves on the pitch. And, you know, they definitely did. They changed eight players and, you know, there's there's questions. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of reason to be confident in the depth that the the Jim Curtin has, but also it's hard. Like I said, it's hard to really truly judge what was out there <laughs> because it was such an ugly game for both teams. And um, you know, I think in the end, it's probably a fair result. Yet the Union probably had you know one or two more chances than Alianza did. I mean, Donovan's got to bury that free header. Um, in the back of the net, but generally, you know, generally speaking, I think it was a fair result. And both teams are probably okay with a zero-zero draw. You know, Alianza obviously is going to want to try to get a goal up here on Tuesday. You know, at the same time, the the Union is not an easy team to score on, no matter what what the field conditions are. <laughs> you know exactly. And uh, by the way, that's Eduardo Lara, head coach of Alianza FC. 
Um, obviously, you know as well as I do, the Philadelphia Union Academy has done amazing work finding local talent, developing that talent, and they've been now a part of not just this past under-20 tournament where some of these players uh, are going to be going to Indonesia for the uh, under-20 World Cup, but of course, those some of the players that are probably also on the under-17 World Cup uh, team that qualified down in Guatemala and was a part of that tournament as well. How happy were you and how nice was it to see some of those kids like Quinn Sullivan uh, getting the start in this one? Obviously, you can't say anything about Paxton right now because he's already transferred over to Germany, I think, with Eintracht Frankfurt. But, you know, Chris Donovan started this match. Uh, Quinn Sullivan. Jack McGlynn's been, you know, building his way up. Not to have the typical starters that would you'd normally see in an MLS match how did it how did it make you feel and what do you think everyone else felt like within the union front office to see these young kids taking that big step forward especially being in the CONCACAF Champions League yeah i think you know with i mean donovan's a little bit of a different story he's he you know he's a little older he he wasn't a homegrown player he wasn't in the academies i kind of came through local local uh, high school soccer and club soccer here and played at Drexel but you know he had he had kind of a challenging night for him. Um, you know, you have to wonder whether the, the face mask uh, impacted him trying to trying to score on that header that he had and a couple other, you know, had a half chance and another chance in the game as well. Uh, but in terms of, you know, Quinn Sullivan obviously being a local, the Sullivan name is pretty, uh, pretty well known in soccer here. And to see him uh, step up on that stage was awesome. I mean, so Quinn is the type of player who, you know, he 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 kind of thrives on 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 games like that and just being able to uh, to to run up run at people and just create havoc. I mean, he you know his first appearance in the Champions League, a fight broke that the I mentioned the tackle. It was like minutes after he subbed in, and you know that that terrible tackle on Wagner and then the the, the fighting and pushing that ensues and. You know, he, he, he's such a nice kid. I I, I just kind of laugh, like, you know, like this this image of him walking on the field and all chaos breaks loose. But he just he's that type of player. Like he's he's he he is just fearless. And um, so it was great to see him in that setting. Uh, Jack McGlynn, you know, is really is a is, is a sort of a poster boy for the 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 way that Union Academy has been able to recruit players from out of the area. And also Nathan Harrell is also a a recruiting a coup for them as well from Florida, but you know Jack coming you know coming into the academy, you know from from New York and you know they've really um, been able to, you know to 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 work with him and develop his game and I think you know I think he struggled in the game uh, because he is more of a creative you know passer um, and they were not able to to really move the ball that well and so I think. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't. A, it's not the game you would point to as like, oh, this is who Jack McGlynn is. I mean, I think, you know, obviously he started in the MLS Cup final and, and held his own in that. And but it is, it's it's good to see these young players getting these opportunities. And you know, one of the things I think that that came that factored into Jim Curran's decision with Quinn and with Jack and was the fact that him and you know, actually the two of them and then Paxton, as you mentioned, and and Brandon and Craig, you know, played and. Uh, the CONCACAF, uh, you know, U20 
uh, tournament and did and did really well in that and and played in these you know kind of different conditions far away from home and so I think they've shown that they're the type of players who can step up and answer that call and um, you know it's just it, it, again it's I think it's hard to judge long term what what this means about the union's depth but but they definitely um, did show that you know they rewarded their coaches you know, confidence in them. And I think uh, you, you just see in the culture that they're, they've built in the academy that, you know, they they just sort of take things as it comes and they take advantage of the opportunities when they get them. So, you know, you're, you know, the play the kids thing is still a mantra very much, right, in American soccer. But, you know, it's, it's not always about how many minutes they play, but about how they respond when they do get those minutes. And I think, you know, all yeah. the guys mentioned – uh, the, the, you know, held their own, for sure. Nope, they really, really did. Well, we all know what they got to do in the next uh, in the next match on uh, Tuesday night, and uh, it should be exciting. So I will talk to you next Friday, Matt. I appreciate it. Good luck. And let's see what the Union can do on Tuesday night. Thanks again for joining me. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Thanks a lot. And that's Matt Ralph for now. Philadelphia soccer now talking about what happened between the Union and Allianz FC. My next guest, unfortunately, couldn't come on live tonight. Uh, we recorded the uh, segment, and so here it is. This is Eric Goodman from the Austin Chronicle. As Austin FC falls to Haitian side, Violet AC 3-0 on the road in the Dominican Republic and here is that recorded interview right now. Ronaldo. Wrong one. Sorry, folks. Here it is. Daniel Feuerstein here. Welcome back to the CONCACAF Champions League Review Show as we talk about these round of 16 first leg matches. Joining me right now from the Austin Chronicle on Austin FC's first ever CONCACAF Champions League match, Eric Goodman, the Austin FC beat writer. Eric, welcome back to the show, and how are you tonight? I'm doing, I'm doing great, Daniel. I'm still grooving to the, uh, to the beats of the uh, Violet uh, band that was playing. If you saw the broadcast, just, just an incredible musical accompaniment to that match. Uh, it was great music from them, but not so much on the football by Austin. I... I have to tell you, I was shocked at that complete performance by Austin FC. Uh, obviously, Josh Wolf was not happy about what happened. He wasn't, you know. In, in, you know, it was it was of his opinion that obviously Austin, you know, rotated their squad in a big way, making nine changes from the team that that beat uh, Montreal at the weekend in MLS. You make nine changes. You bring on guys like, you know, Rodney Redes, who, you know, has, has yet to really get anything going in his MLS career. And, you know, a player making his first uh, start for the club in Amrotarik, you know, really emptying the bench uh, and, you know, thinking that uh, oh, that's all that would be necessary to get a result against Violet, which, you know, listen, I mean, I, I don't think there's any, you know, debate about the fact that Austin drew the team that, you know, any team would have hoped to draw, you know, first leg, a team that can't play in its own country, a team that hasn't played competitively in nine months. And so, you know, you get a false sense of security. But but even still, I mean, just to, to lose 3-0 um, in a game where you barely even create a clear scoring chance until, you know, at the 80th minute, uh, 
just, you know, it's beyond disappointing. It, it, it's, you know, I called in a column this week, you know, an embarrassment to, to MLS and to the United States. So, you know, if that's an overstatement, okay, but that's certainly what it felt like watching. I don't blame you at all for feeling like that because, uh, I mean, the first opening 10 minutes, I mean, it looked like Austin was okay. I mean, sure, there was an attacking run here and there, but I thought the defense was solid until that 13th-minute goal. Of course, the first of two by Mishi Nader Cherry, who just found daylight in between the center backs and headed that ball uh, past Stuver. And, And I felt bad for Stuver. I thought... You know that 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 no way that ball should have been converted right there. Right, and it was a it, you know some, somehow it was both a player with a direct marker in, in terms of Amro Tarek, and yet Tarek you know barely jumps in and gives up essentially a free header for no reason, and it was just that kind of effort you know across the field. Some bright spots, you know, Sofian uh, Jeffall started you know played his first minutes for Austin and looked good, looked like a very you know. It looked like the confident midfielder that, that he kind of flashed uh, with DC. But overall, I mean, up top with, um, you know, Jenneris and, and Ethan Finley and, and just players that you're not used to seeing create dangerous chances uh, and just kind of making, you know, you, Joshua made a gamble that, that the players that haven't proven much for Austin would, would still be able to, to overcome, you know, the lesser competition uh, that that they, you know, clearly assumed they were coming up against in Violet. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as you said, this Haitian side, uh, who has not played for a good amount of time because of the, the league suspension of what's going on in Haiti, obviously, it just to see them be this plucky and to be this strong against an Austin team that, like you said, I, I mean, they took them lightly. And you can never do that against an opponent, and let's be honest, you know, very inferior to, you know, what we're used to seeing when you face teams from Liga MX and maybe even from the first division in Costa Rica. Right, and, you know, there is, there is the other side of this coin, which is that, you know, what an incredible story for a, for a team like Violet, you know, their manager talking after the game about, you know, trying to remind everyone that, that hey, you know, there is still soccer going on at 80 and, and, you know, there, there is still, they, they are still, you know, alive in this competition and, and with, you know, every intention of, of making an impression uh, and good for them. I mean, they, they played without any kind of fear. They were dangerous every time they went out on the break. Uh, and you know, it probably didn't take long before it, you know, it's occurring to every player and fan in that stadium that, you know, Austin was there to be had and, and you know, there wasn't going to be the kind of response that I think a lot of us expected. Yeah, I agree with you there. And, of course, it, it happened again in the 39th minute by Cherry. Uh, I, I mean, same type of goal, same type of result, same type of everything. It just that, that has to be frustrating to watch. I mean, like you were talking about it off the air. You know, the the Jared Stroud goal, who used to be on your team now with St. Louis City FC, and, you know, begging for a former teammate to give him the ball, and it happened, and, you know, scoring on your net, and, and then Taro just not, tar, excuse me, Tarek, just, just not doing the job that you expected him to do, especially as an Egyptian international center back. Well, and this is the thing, you know, Austin in, in their first game, saw Julio Cascante, they're really their only experienced 
center back, go down injuries. You're going to be out, you know, at least two months. Uh, and, and that was, if you had asked me, you know, before the season, who's the player that Austin can't afford to lose, I would have given you Sebastian Driussi, number one, and then number two would have been Cascante because this team is just so thin at center back. Um, they were able to make it work uh, against Montreal with a combination of, of Alex Ring playing out of position, but he's done it before. He's actually, you know, a, a pretty competent center back when, he, when he's, you know, willing to play there. And then next to his countryman, Leo Weissenden, Neither of those two players were on the plane to make the trip to the Caribbean. So it, it, it's that kind of, you know, arrogance or, or, or gamble, you know, to be, if you want to be generous and just, and just say Wolf was gambling by trying to rest those guys and, and make it work with Tarek and Nick Lima. I mean, that's who your center back pairing is. I don't, I don't care, you know, who the competition is. That's not a center back pairing that, that strikes fear in you that you feel like it's going to be difficult to score on. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the coup de grace was Tarek again in the 47th, like two minutes just after the restart of the match. And I know Tarek was trying to clear the ball out, but, you know, he ripped it point blank on his own net and scores for Violet. And, I mean, give Stuver credit. I mean, he made a great save on that opportunity. I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, how did he get the rebound so quickly? And I'm like, oh, my God, I saw the replay and I couldn't believe it. Could not believe what Tarek did. And, and, you know, he was at fault for the two previous goals. And, you know, if you ever, you know, if you're thinking, you know, having a debate like, okay, this, this either this goalkeeper or this center back is having just a really bad game and does not look comfortable, is it worth spending a substitute to, you know, bring on a defender? Because it's obviously not something you ever are hoping to do. That's an example of absolutely yes. You want to pull a guy off the field if he's not comfortable because that's a play. I mean, there was there was no Violet player within five yards of Tarek. There was no reason to even um, you know to even make a clearance there. Like he could have easily taken a touch, um, tried to play back. But I think because of where he was mentally at that point in the game, you know, panic set in and and you know, I get all technical ability you know left him and and and. It, an attempt to kick the ball anywhere but in the back of the net, you know, goes south. So he probably should not have been on the field in that moment. No, you're absolutely right. I think he should have been subbed out uh, at halftime. But, look, you know, like I said, he's an Egyptian international uh, playing for that national team. And, you know, if if he just – it wasn't his night, it wasn't his night, he should have been pulled at halftime. I agree. I mean, throughout after that, I mean, you're. I mean, basically, you're begging for a goal in that second half from from Austin to at least save yourself in the tie, pull one back, have some form of advantage returning to the Q2 uh, with an away goal in your back pocket. I mean, was that what everyone was begging for that night? Yeah, I think you know by by minute seventy five, I think you know every Austin FC fan would have taken three one, you know, at, at that point. Um, they got close, uh, you know, Ruti, you know, connected really solidly on the crossbar, uh, got, you know, and, and there were other opportunities, uh, but, you know, it was, it, it was just not Austin's night from, from the opening whistle, and uh, they, they, they're still not out of it. I mean, they've made things really difficult for themselves. Uh, I think, you know, a 1-0, a 2-0 loss, and you still feel, you know, like Austin's got a, a really solid, better than 50% chance of going through. At 3-0, now it becomes really dicey. Can you 
even with your, your A team, go out and score three goals on a team that you know is, is going to be fighting, you know, with every heartbeat to try to keep Austin off the score sheet. And, um, you know, whoever Violet is able to travel into the United States, because we've heard that, you know, not every player on their squad has been able to obtain a visa to travel. So it's going to be a fascinating uh, return list. Uh, and you know, we'll see how much Austin FC is ready to empty the tank and try to set this right. With the amount of, obviously, it's the start of the third season of Austin FC and, you know, Josh Wolf running the club. Has he been this upset and annoyed after a, a match like this, you know, in the times that you've covered this club? Has he shown a lot of disgust with how this performance was? He didn't show it. I mean, you know, uh, as, as you probably know, you know, these CONCACAF press conferences can be really brief. You know, I think this one ran, you know, seven minutes, if that. You didn't see a ton of frustration from Wolf. I mean, that's not really his personality. He took a lot of the blame on himself, uh, saying that, you know, he, you know, he took the blame on saying he didn't have guys mentally ready for, for the challenge. Uh, and, you know, I think there's certainly truth to that. Um but, you know, it was it was certainly not the kind of, you know, fiery manager trying to flip the table that, that you know, other managers might give you after after a loss like that. And, and Wolf still sounds, you know, really confident that, that this team can progress uh, at, you know, at Q2 Stadium and, and get through to, to the quarterfinals, even despite this 3-0 deficit. Yeah, I agree with you there. The one thing I realized, actually I was going through social media, was that for Violet, they have won the this this competition in the past back in 1984, uh, winning uh, the, at the time the Champions Cup, uh, so this tournament. So it sounds like, you know, right now Austin's in their way, and it looks like they're going to use you as an example of maybe why they think that they should return to the championship, uh, even though the road is probably a lot harder than it was back in 1984. Yeah, well, I mean, I like. You heard uh, Alexi Lalas, I think, tried to uh, kind of give some context around that story about how, you know, a whole bunch of teams in that 1984 tournament withdrew and, you know, to a, to an extent, you know, Violet won it by default. Um, but, I mean, look, we're not going to sugarcoat it. This, they're the biggest Cinderella in this competition this year. For them to make it uh, into the second round would, would be, especially going through against an MLS competition, uh, would be incredible achievement, you know, up there with some of the biggest upsets, you know, in 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 the entire year in sports. So, um, you know, if you're a neutral, I think that's a really compelling storyline. Obviously, you know, the you know fans here in Austin are are hoping that this is just kind of going to be a, a bad fever dream for Austin FC, and, and that dream matchup with Leon in, in the second round can still materialize. Because there's actually a big uh, Leon fan base in Austin, um, from from what I've kind of gathered. So that's still the uh, still Plan A, but it's it's not going to be easy, and it's certainly not dirt. Uh, yep, we'll see what happens there. And that's Eric Goodman from the Austin Chronicle after this first leg debacle in the round of 16 as Austin FC falls to Violet three goals to nil. Eric, thank you very much for your time. I will talk to you next week, same time, for that second leg review. Thanks so much. All right, looking forward to it, Dan. Thanks. And once again, that was Eric Goodman from the Austin Chronicle talking about the 3-0 loss in the first leg down in the Caribbean against Violet, AC representing Haiti. 
that was the only blemish on an MLS night where everything else was, <laughs> if you want to say perfect, I'll say it's perfect, ready to go. And, you know, all you can say is that they tried their best, and unfortunately, they just got burned. Joining me tonight now, uh, well, a team that actually burned probably one of the tougher opponents in Costa Rica. LAFC are defending MLS Cup champions head over to face Aluenza and comes out with a 3-0 road victory. Joining me now from the heart of LAFC, my good friend Araceli Villanueva. Araceli, what a night for LAFC to return to the CONCACAF Champions League and facing probably one of the tougher opponents and one of the tougher places to play in Costa Rica, and they come out smelling like roses. Absolutely. Last night was just magical and perfect in every sense of the way. Just not only to be back in the CONCACAF Champions League, but to see the final result, which I'm sure we will speak about in a moment here. But along with that, too, not only did LESC show up on the field, but so did the 3252, the LEC supporters. They were went out in full force. I believe over 500 supporters made the trip down to Costa Rica, and you could hear them clearly through the broadcast. And as I mentioned, it, it was just a, a magical night for everyone. It really was. I got to say, I, I did see a clip on social media uh, aimed right at, uh, all those visiting LAFC supporters, boy, were they in unison, and boy, were they just having some fun uh, all night long down in Costa Rica. Now, I don't know what happened, but apparently they were told to leave early. Would they, they left in the middle of the second half? In the middle of the second half, they left after the third goal. What? Why would they? Why were they told to leave early? To my understanding, the supporters were asked to leave by security around the 85th minute just out of safe concerns, especially with the uh, Alouanese fans. Where, um, and and I, I say this very loosely because I, I was not there personally, but based on what I've heard from fellow supporters, it sounds like they were getting the fans were starting to get aggressive, especially after the third goal. And as we could see on the broadcast, I believe it was around the 50th, 60th minute when uh, Carlos Vela was to take that corner and they started throwing debris at him. So, I, again, I think it was more of a safety concern for the fans. But as far as I've heard, you know, they were okay with the decision that it was, it was a decision made by CONCACAF given the overall result of the match. And I was absolutely uh, upset about that. I mean, look, I understand, you know, they, you know, you look, you got to, fans got to do what they got to do, but throwing, throwing debris on the field to harass an LAFC player, any visiting player at that stadium while they're taking the corner. I mean, that was just absolutely terrible. I, I really thought CONCACAF, they, it's not just CONCACAF issue, obviously. It's a Costa Rican Football Federation issue, they, and it's even a Division One league issue. they got to find a way to get these fans to throw debris on the pitch while an opposition player is taking a corner. That was just terrible. No, I absolutely agree. And looking at the basis of it, I, it, it's 
I don't want to say that it's understandable in the sense that Carlos Vela, he used to play for the Mexican international team. So in terms of the El Tri versus Costa Rica, there is a type of history in a sense. But unfortunately, to still carry that over years later and continue to show it through throwing debris, I absolutely, you know, disagree with. And unfortunately, I, I really don't know what the overall solution could be. I'm just glad that at the end of the Very day, true. nobody was injured. Exactly, and that's the number one issue right there, that no one was injured, no one was severely hurt, and that's the best thing that could come out of this, including a 3-0 victory over Aluenza. That's also very true as well. Um, Dennis Boanga had a hell of a night, took down Aluenza all by himself with the hat trick, 3-0 for LAFC, and all at the back end, of those crosses towards the back post, that had to be an amazing feeling to see him coming up big and converting all three chances. Oh, absolutely. And I know going into the match, there was a large question mark in the sense of who would be on the starting roster if Bawanga was going to start or Kalini or any of the other main uh, players. But in terms of Bawanga, I think he. I think it's fair to say that he has answered our question in the sense of how would LAFC perform without Chicho Arango. Granted, Bawanga is not a striker; he is a winger, but he seems to be shifting over into that striker role very well. Of course, the first half, it there were a lot of chances that should have been converted into goals, but I mean, hey, it's a CPL; anything can go. Um, but granted. But right off the back of the second half, boom, he opens up the scoring and just takes off from there, completing the hat trick. While you were watching the first half of this match, you saw that maybe Steve Trundle could tinker at halftime. And do you think whatever adjustments he made, it really worked in that second half? I think in terms of the first half, they're definitely – was a sense of urgency given that the opening 20 minutes, LAFC consistently peppered Aloise's goal with uh, chances. You had Opoku make two solid chances back-to-back, Vinci Fuentes and Bowanga. And going into the second half, I can only imagine what that halftime speech may have been like from Sharundalo. But in terms of Uh, Any play of movement, I don't think there really was any. I think it was just more of a sense of uh, urgency. I I don't know if I want to use the word urgency, but you could could just tell that something was said during halftime. Because I thought he was very animated in the first half. I mean, I don't know if Chirundolo has ever been that animated before, but you can tell. He was very, very animated in his technical, in his technical area. Uh, trying to get his players to be either assertive or be aware of the passing lanes that were opening up for his team and trying to find a way to attack as well as defend. I I thought he was very, very animated in his technical area. Oh, no, I absolutely agree. I think he was definitely more animated in in that sense. Uh, I was just trying to say that looking at the scoreline and given the amount of chances that LESC have produced, you can only kind of imagine 
what Sarandolo is thinking it is similarly to us of, oh, that should have been a goal, or, you know, what what if he had gone from a different direction? So, again, I can only imagine what was said at halftime, but whatever it was, the speech was, it, it clearly worked. No, it really did, and that was a great thing to watch and to see what uh, he was doing with LAFC. Um, just a quick injury update. We all know what happened to Maxime Crepeau in the final broken leg. Has he returned uh, fully fit for LAFC, or is John McCarthy holding up the fort right now? As of right now, McCarthy is holding up the fort. He is in goal for a, a large majority of the games, and I see him being in goal up until maybe about half halfway through the season. As far as an injury update on Crapo, to my understanding, he is walking, he is running, he is starting to do uh, rehabilitation by himself on the sidelines, and fairly soon he is supposed to be going back into full team training. Um, Quadwo Poku, I thought he was also dangerous in this match. I thought he really showed a lot of uh, energy in that first half. I thought he was really looking strong in this match. I know he couldn't convert anything, but still, though, how much of a problem did he give Aluenza on the attacking side? Oh, I think he was definitely a thorn in Aluenza's side. Um, As you said, you know, he was very strong in the attacking. And even in the seventh, I believe it was around the seventh or eighth minute, as I mentioned earlier, really – been on top of his game for LASC the last couple of matches. No, that's absolutely brilliant and uh, just great to see uh, what they've been trying to do. And uh, three away goals. I know you hope for one or two in this opening round of uh, CONCACAF Champions League action, but did you ever expect three away goals, especially in this competition? I don't think anyone really expects a certain amount of goals, especially in the opening match. Obviously, if you're able to escape a game with a high scoring, whether it be three goals or four goals, that would be ideal. But in the sense of LEFC and seeing that they hadn't really had a lot of opportunities to um, gel with the new players that were incoming in over the last couple of months, there was a lot of go. I think they definitely answered a lot of questions, and given the overall results, put themselves in a very good position for next week. But, of course, you know, it's CCL. Anything can happen. Very, very true, and we'll see what happens. Uh, of course, uh, you're going to be hosting Aluenza over at now called BMO Stadium in downtown Los Angeles. So, I mean, really, all all LAFC needs to do is just add another goal or two to the aggregate, just prevent Aluenza from getting an away goal to try and level and push into penalties. I mean, if they get three themselves, I mean, that's a miracle, I think. But, you know, you're on the the, uh, positive side of this result. Uh, What do you think Toronto is going to do in the second leg uh, back at home? And... uh, do you think it's wise to basically just, I guess, bunker, or you you think they should just attack and add another goal or two to just finish them off? 
I think right as of right now, that is definitely one of the biggest question marks in terms of the roster rotation and time management, considering that LAFC is among amid a, a very congested schedule right now. For example, before um, Alawinza, they had played their home opener against Portland just a few days prior, and now in two days, they're going to host the New England Revolution, and then Alawinza the following Wednesday. So in terms of time management or roster rotation, I should say, I would expect Chirondolo to put out another attacking roster with the exception of maybe um, Benteen, Chiellini, or Acosta, given uh, their strength. And finally, uh, obviously, Timothy Tillman, the brother of Malik Tillman, who plays over at Rangers, uh, got his LAFC debut in the Champions League. Uh, How do you think he played in that matchup? Well, I think Tillman played very well. Um, I do have to admit, I I would need to watch him play in a few more matches to give you a more accurate um, analysis, because considering time that we saw Tillman he only played I believe about 10 minutes in the home opener and for last night I want to say it was like 40 minutes I would I would need to double check this but overall I think his performance was very well well that's great to hear and obviously um, big second leg coming up next week against Alawenza and uh, cannot wait to have you back on next Friday to review that second leg in the round of 16. Aristelli, thank you for your time, and I will talk to you next Friday. Thanks again for coming on. Awesome. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to come on and talk LAFC with you. Absolutely. It's always a pleasure to have you on to talk about LAFC on the show. Have a good night. You too. All right. Thank you. It's Aristelli Villanueva. Heart of LAFC joining us tonight, that 3-0 victory over Aluenza, and uh, they are on the front foot. Speaking about someone being on the front foot, ladies and gentlemen, unbelievable, Vancouver Whitecap, a 5-0 destruction over Real España of Honduras. Joining me to talk about the Vancouver Whitecaps' big first leg home victory is Michael McCool from Away From The Numbers podcast covering the Vancouver Whitecaps. Michael, welcome back. It's been a long time since you've been back, and uh, glad to have you coming back on the show. Yeah, thanks, Daniel. I'm really looking forward to talking about some good Whitecaps news as well, which is the way this season started, wasn't 100% sure how this one was going to go. Very true. But I got to say, and, you know, I don't know if you'll agree with me or not, but to see the way that Vancouver came out in this first leg, in the first half, uh, with their manager. I I have to tell you, I think, now, you know more than I do, obviously, but, you know, watching the Canadian Championship final against TFC, I I think you got yourself a pretty darn good manager in uh, in Vanni Sartini. Uh, To me, he just looks like, He's the type of guy that's going to be kind of like a yin and yang type of manager, if you know what I mean. Yeah, he, he, like he's got the passion. 
He's got the ideas. He's got the style that he wants to play in. Sometimes it has to be said, some of his tactical decisions maybe let him down. His substitutions let him down. He, he likes to have projects where he tries to convert players to different positions. Sometimes it's worked, sometimes it hasn't. But he's a great guy to have around. He's an absolutely fantastic person for an interview as well. If you ever get the chance to have him on the show, definitely have him on. He's highly entertaining. And from a football point of view, sometimes you, you just don't know what you're going to get with Vanny. Mm, very true. And I understand that the uh, the uncertainty at times that just pops up whenever it does, and you're a little concerned about that. That I don't blame you how you think at all. But so far, it's been working, hasn't it? Yeah, it was it was good in the the Champions League. They, they had a really good preseason, and I'm very confident that the team is playoff bound. I think they've got the players there. They've got quite good depth for a, a number of the positions. The the key really for them is if they can get their scoring going, and that's still the the big question that's hanging over the team. I know they've just put up five goals, but when you're talking about MLS opposition, it's going to be a little bit different, but this competition, that game on Wednesday, it was the confidence booster that they needed. It's hopefully shaken off the cobwebs. I guess we'll, we'll find out on Saturday against Dallas. And it, it's, it's just given a boost to the team after two good halves of football to start the MLS season, two horrible halves of football to start the season. This was a complete game, and it's exactly what the team was needing. Very true, and uh, I, I, like I said, I think a very strong match for the Whitecaps to get this needed result in the first leg. Uh, that goal by Tristan Blackman was really special in the 21st minute. Yeah. I thought Julian Gressel has been probably one of the better pickups the Whitecaps have had to be a part of the attacking play for this team. He has been excellent. And that's his third assist of the season as well. So he's had one in every game. What Vanny's wanting from him, like we've seen him in the league over the years and he's kind of played maybe on the wing or as a fullback. Vanny's wanting him as a number eight for this season. He just feels because he's wanting to play a 4-3-2-1 ideally. And he wants Gressel to be one of those eights. And it's really paying off. He's probably the best crosser of the ball on the team. Him and Ryan Gold, probably. His deliveries for the goals this season have been phenomenal. And that that cross, right onto the head of Tristan Blackman. And and like full credit to Blackman as well. That was a well-taken header. And both Blackman, who was added at the start of last season, and Gressel, kind of was a slight change for the Whitecaps. In the past... I've pushed managers as to why have you not added more talent from within the league? Because a lot of teams are very successful when they do that. And for various reasons, the Whitecaps haven't done that. That policy is changing now. And guys like Blackman and Gressel have been really strong additions to the team. And I think Gressel, for me, player of the season so far, obviously short sample size, but he has got what it takes to push on now, make himself a mainstay of the U.S. national team as well. And I think with him having that now on the horizon, 
I think that's really lifted his game to the next level. Why do you think that was such a thing for this Whitecaps organization to uh, change philosophies now that we're seeing more talented players from within the league transferring over to the Whitecaps these days? In the past, like speaking to previous coach Mark DeSantis, he, he kind of felt a little bit handcuffed. He wanted to add these players. But the asking rate for of these players for GAM, TAM, trade deals, whatever, was felt to be too high for what the Whitecaps were willing to do. But I think now it's kind of got to the stage that they realize they have to do this. They need that that proven MLS ability because they, they've gone in the past for diamonds in the rough, guys from South America, Central America that might make the grade, might be able to push on and get a transfer to Europe. And they just haven't worked out on the whole. So I think they've changed that philosophy. We're also a little bit kind of hampered here with the tax situation because there's, I think, seven teams in MLS that can offer tax-free status to free agents, and it boosts their salary. But if they come to British Columbia, if they come to Canada, they're paying more tax than they would in the U.S. So for a number of players, obviously that is not something that they want to do. So they've been a little bit more savvy. They've added Nikas Overhull now as kind of director of scouting and They've got a proper scouting network. It's really reaping the dividends. And if they can add a guy like Blackman or Gressel every year from within the league, I'll be absolutely delighted with that. Absolutely. And we'll see what happens moving forward. Then, of course, that second half, four big goals uh, coming for the Whitecaps and uh, Ryan uh, Raposo in the 59th minute. And unfortunately for Real España, Devron Garcia puts it into his own net in the 64th. And then, of course, the dam breaks. And, you know, just a hell of a second half with Pedro Viti and former New York Red Bull Brian White uh, adding a tally to themselves. That must have been uh, probably one of the better second halves you've probably seen in a long time from this Whitecaps team. Oh, absolutely. It's the first time they scored five goals since 2018. And the only other game I can remember was in the playoffs when they, they beat San Jose in a play-in game 5-0 as well. It, it's the kind of performance that has been needed at home because they were a little bit up and down at home last year. They started well, they finished well, they had a horrendous spell in the summer. And attendances have been dipping and it's been post-COVID, it's been hard to kind of build things back up. They got a decent 13,500 or so out on a, a midweek game for a side which, if, if we're being honest, the vast majority of people will never have heard of it in their lives before. And Ryan Raposo is a guy that, that big hopes for him this year. He's one of the projects that I was talking about with Vanny. He's switched him kind of from being a left winger and an attacker to, to being a, a left back this year. He might play left wing back as well, but he, he sees him now as a left back, and it's it's starting to pay off. He really rises for these cup competitions. He had a great game. There was two assists from Ryan Gold, and I think that the happiest that a lot of us are now is Brian White's got maybe that goal scoring monkey off his back. 
struggled last year after a great 2021, didn't score at all in pre-season, has looked really poor in the first two MLS games, but showed what he's capable of. And he's a streaky player, so now we kind of have to hope he's going to push on and, and do that. But that was probably the best second-half performance I've seen from the Whitecaps for a number of years. Now, obviously, CONCACAF has put out their uh, best 11 uh, from the first leg in the round of 16, and Julian Gressel is on it, Ryan Gauld is on it, Ryan Raposo is on it. Uh, I mean, you'd probably be happy with one or two, but to have three Whitecaps in this uh, starting 11 honorary uh, recognition, that must be really special for you and everyone in Vancouver to see that. Yeah, I, I was quite surprised, to be honest. I, I watched probably three quarters of, of the games this week, and there was a number of top performances. I, I, I definitely think Ryan Raposo deserved to spot gold, probably with the two assists. little surprised, to be honest, about Gressel being on it. But, yeah, I think it shows that the quality is there in this team. It's just about getting consistency now. Now, you reported as well there was a player on Real España apparently uh, fell ill, uh, yeah. had to go and stay overnight in the in the local Vancouver hospital. What was his name, and what was the reason for that? They haven't released the name. No one's willing to say who the, the player was. But I, I can give a little bit more background quickly. They they had a twenty two hour trip to Vancouver from Honduras. They left on Monday. They got here on on Tuesday morning, in the early hours of the morning. So they were fatigued. It was very cold in the stadium as well for the game. They're not used to playing on turf as well. And I think in that second half, part of the reason for the collapse, aside from how well Vancouver were playing, that the players were dead on their feet. At the full-time whistle, so many of them just kind of sank to their knees. So one of the players collapsed after the game in the dressing room from fatigue, we've been told. He was taken to the local hospital, discharged on Thursday. He's still in Vancouver with the team doctor. They're waiting test results. The Whitecaps have worked with them. A couple of local Hondurans as well have kind of worked with them. They hope that he's going to be able to get to the Dallas game just to kind of take that in on Saturday. So he's had a bad time, but the whole team's had a bad time because their flight home on Thursday got cancelled. They were meant to fly to Miami. They were all sitting on the plane. The pilot said he was feeling unwell and left the plane, so they had to cancel it. They've had to fly to Dallas. And what I've been told is they're still actually in Dallas. They've not been able to get back to Honduras, and they're going to have to fly back on flights on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Their game on Sunday might have to get called off. It's, I, I think the last thing they're ever going to want to hear is Vancouver ever again. <laughs> That's very true. Um, I feel bad for, the, for them, and I hope, we yeah. all hope uh, the player does make uh, – he does get back home and uh, that he'll – be 100% fully fit and ready to continue his league season. Obviously, long, long trip for Real España from Honduras going to Western Canada. But, I mean, you'd like to think that they were prepared to come and to come up and, and play such an important match, you know, for their club and, and for, their, for their town, obviously. So we'll see what happens. But uh, 
I mean, there's not really much to say. 5-0 Vancouver, second leg down in Honduras, um, just get an away goal and probably just defend all 90 minutes. Don't allow them any hope. What's your feeling from the manager now uh, about what that second leg is going to entail after this upcoming weekend's match? Well, he said he's going to put out a a strong team. Now, the whole squad is travelling down because they're chartering down and then they're going to go to LA for the the next game at the weekend. I think he'll make changes. I'd be very surprised if he doesn't. He's going to... He blooded a couple of guys in the second half that we hadn't seen. Karifa Yao, JC and Gando. I think you're going to see some changes. Brian White will probably start up front to to rest Cordova. It'll be a semi-strong team. The... The coach or the assistant coach of Real España said, Vancouver scored five at home, why can't we? I'd be amazed if, if they did. But they came out strong in the opening 10 minutes. They forced a couple of big saves from Takaoka. That game could have gone so differently if those two goals had gone in and they'd got two away goals. It's a tall order for them. They're going to be absolutely like fatigued as well from their travel. I, if the Whitecaps play a defensive game, even if they, they lose to a goal or whatever, they're not going to care. I mean, they're pretty much through. I think they're looking ahead now to what would be LAFC in the quarterfinals, and they'll, they'll just they'll play it by ear. But I think you'll see a semi-strong team. It won't be too much. Absolutely. Michael, thank you very much for joining me tonight. Can't wait to talk to you next Friday, and uh, good luck in the second leg. Thank you. Looking forward to next time. Thank you. And that's Michael McCool from Away From The Numbers podcast covering the Vancouver Whitecaps in MLS. And finally, uh, I always want to show respect to Liga MX and those clubs in the, with the uh, Mexican League, the top league in Mexico, uh, to get their time here uh, on the show. And in the past, I've had John Jagu on, uh, and he has always done a great job. But joining me now to cover the Liga MX clubs in the CONCACAF Champions League, uh, FMF State of Mind website, Eugene Rapinski joining me to talk about all those Liga MX games. Eugene, welcome back. How are you, my friend? And uh, what is going on in your end of the woods? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. It's been a long time. Um, yeah, lots of lots going on, lots to talk about uh, with uh, both the men's and the women's uh, Soccer in Mexico is kind of full uh, full swing, full season right now. Um, you know, I know MLS is just kind of getting started. NWSL hasn't started yet. But, uh, yeah, just trying to keep up with everything and uh, stay on top of these CONCACAF games. Absolutely. And uh, I want to start off with, as we start reviewing these games, I, I want to start off with, um, if you want to say it's lopsided in the opening leg in this round of 16, it's what Olympia did to Atlas. And I'm not saying Olympia is a pushover. I mean, they are one of the top clubs in Honduras, obviously, but I did not expect a 4-1 thrashing by Olympia to knock out Atlas in this opening leg. I don't think anybody did. Uh, that, was, that was quite a surprise uh, to, to me as well. Um, you know, like you said, Olympia is a good team. Uh, no disrespect to them whatsoever. Um, I, I could definitely have seen Atlas losing. Um, you know, that, that wasn't the, the surprise. I think the surprise was just how bad it was and how lopsided it was. Um, you know, a, a 4-1 loss uh, in the opening round 
is not good. Um, if there is a silver lining, it's that they will be going back to Guadalajara to play uh, the, the second leg. Um, you know, so having having that is uh, um, it's better than nothing, I guess, right? Uh, you know, it's better than having a four-one deficit and then having to go on the road and, and try and get that. You know, having the game in your building in front of your fans. Um, you know, that's that's going to be a boost. Uh, I, I I don't want to say I think they they're going to come back, but I, I think they can come back. I agree. I mean, look, they're going to come back home, a ruckus crowd. They're going to really do everything they can to support their side. But if I can ask you this, I mean, probably at the time the goal was scored by Julio Furch, how how really important was that away goal to keep them involved in this tie? Well, I mean, at the time I thought it was pretty huge. Um, now I, I'm not so sure. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think it, it, it's, it's, you know, it, it's they still have a humongous deficit to overcome uh, first and foremost. Uh, getting the getting the away goal is is big, um, but they still have they still have a, you know a three nothing deficit to to overcome. Uh, so that's yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's better than nothing. It's better than not having it for sure, but. Um, you know, at, at the time, I thought it was going to be much bigger than it than it was. I was just thinking, okay, well, you know, they, they'll they'll get a one-one draw, maybe go down two to one, but they'll have that away goal. Uh, you know, four-one, you just kind of look at it and go, ooh, this is, uh, you know, how much how much does that matter? So we'll see. No, it really, yeah, I, I agree with you there, and we'll have to see how Atlas is going to be playing this one out in the uh, in the second leg uh, next week. We'll see what happens. Um, Taro FC uh, from Panama falls to Club Leon 1-0. Leon with your way goal, and they'll come back home. Um, I don't know what you make of Club Leon, but sometimes I feel like they're probably one of the most unluckiest clubs from Liga MX because whenever they do qualify for the CONCACAF Champions League, something screwy always happens to them in the second legs in this competition, whether it be at home or on the road. And I don't know if we're expecting them to move on to the quarterfinals or it'll be another dud. <laughs> uh, you know, I think any other team, you would pretty much expect them to, to move on uh, kind of easily. Uh, they are, they are going to be playing at home. Uh, you know, Leon is not a, not an easy place to play. Um, you know, Tauro is going to have to go uh, up, up at altitude to play them. So it's not going to be not going to be an easy time for them. Leon also has has the goal, they have the away goal, um, but like you said, it's, there's always that kind of well, it is Leon. They've been super unlucky when it's come to uh, you know come to these things uh, in in the second uh, second leg of uh, of game. So uh, you know, are we, are we just kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop? Maybe they can break the curse. You know, who knows. Um, it'll, it'll be it'll be fun. They should. I think they should go through, but uh, we'll we'll see. Yeah, I think that's the one thing. I mean, they, they're coming home. You expect them to do something. I mean, they are ahead by a goal, and it's an away goal. You know, all they gotta do is just you know keep on scoring and don't allow Taro to get a sniff of the net. But I don't know. I you know it, it's one of those teams. It doesn't matter what sport you follow or which team you you root for. You always have that thing in the back of your head, like something screwy is going to happen against them. It just it might just happen again. Yeah, I think I think there's always that, and, and you know, one of those things that until they conquer that, uh, 
that'll always be there. But maybe this is the time where they actually conquer that. Maybe this is, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the time where they put that kind of curse, I guess, if, if you believe in those things, uh, if they put that to rest. I've been a New York Rangers fan for a very long time, and I was in the middle of that 54-year <laughs> cup drought. So if there is such a thing as curses, I do believe in it. Oh, I do. man. So, I... <laughs> We'll have to talk hockey sometime off off uh, off the mic. <laughs> we will, we will. Don't worry, we'll have some fun on that. Um, scoreless draws, and first I want to go towards Motagua and uh, Pachuca. I, this is Pachuca's first uh, international cup club cup competition back in a very long time, and uh. Being on the road at Motagua, I think that's how they wanted to play it. I just got a funny feeling, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But maybe they, Guillermo Almada had this all planned out to maybe just keep Motagua off the scoreboard so that when they do finish up scoreless after 90 in this one, they'll dominate at home in the second leg. I wouldn't surprise me. Um, Almada is one of the smartest people I've ever talked to. So, um, you know, it, it would not surprise me at all to, to, to kind of have that be his game plan going into it. I think Pachuca is in a very strong position. Um, you know, I, I never want to disrespect um, the opponents, uh, regardless of where they come from, but I, I don't think Matagua has ever had to go to a place like Pachuca and play. Um, Pachuca is another place that's at, that at altitude, and the crowd there is uh, loud, and, um, yeah, it's not going to be an easy game for them midweek uh, coming all the way up to Mexico uh, for that. So I, I, I could see Almada just kind of going, okay, you know, we're going to go down there. We're not, you know, we're not going not gonna to go full out. We're going to give it our best, but we're not, you know, we, we come back with a 0-0 draw or, you know, even down, down a goal, we're going to be fine because, we you know, we're coming back to our building uh, we have to make them come here um, in front of our crowd and, and do it kind of, kind of the same, um, you know, with, with the other clubs, just knowing that they have uh, the security of going, uh, going back to their, their house and, uh, and, and showing, you know, putting, putting forth a good uh, effort in front of their the home fans. Absolutely. I agree with you there. Um, and, you know, look, uh, when MLS had Superliga uh, back in the day, you know, I, I just remember Pachuca being one of those top, sides in Mexico at that time. Uh, I think it was like, what, early 2000s, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. yeah. I, they, they I, I really under- felt... Yeah. I was going to say, I think they've kind of undergone a transformation. They uh, they were really dominant around that time, the early 2000s. They kind of fell fell off. And then, um, you know, for the past couple of, couple of years, they, they've gotten better and better. Uh, and once they got Almada from from Santos Laguna, um, you know he, he brought them, you know, to to, to win, win the title, and uh, you know he's really positioned them as one of the strongest clubs right now in in, in the league. So, mm. no, I absolutely agree with you. I I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I I think he's really going to do something good with them. And finally, Tigris. Nil nil against Orlando City. Is this a bad result for Tigris? Because I think you know as well as I do, their home stadium is a fortress. 
And you would like to think they should have had at least a couple of goals in that one. Yeah, that was a really bad result for them, I think. Um, you know, not only, you know, Orlando came in, and Orlando looked prepared, and Tigres kind of uncharacteristically didn't. Um, you know, I, I think Orlando kind of forced Tigres to play down to their level. And I don't mean that any other, any, like, way other than Orlando wanted to make the game really physical, muck it up, and, and turn it into just a kind of a boondoggle and then bring it back to Orlando. And Tigres is good enough to not have fallen into that trap, but for whatever reason, they didn't. And uh, now, they're, now they're in for it. Now they have to go to Orlando. Um, you know, they've got a tough game this weekend against America. They've got their Clásico uh, next weekend against Monterrey. Uh, and if, uh, if, you know, I, I don't know if Andre Pierre Gignac is going to be able to travel with the team. Um, there's a lot of questions regarding, uh, regarding his eligibility to, to come to the United States um, and, and play. So he may not be able to, to go, and that's going to be, um, you know, just kind of another uh, uh-oh moment for, for Tigres. You know, they're going to have to go to Orlando uh, in the middle of the week and, you know, put forth an effort without, uh, you know, one of the better players, sure, but also one of their leaders. I mean, I'm, I try not to mix politics and sports on this show. I mean, um, I'll tell you my opinions about this whole situation off the air, but uh, let me just say that uh, I, I'm going to – I'm just going to – I'll save it for off the air because I'm not here to – I'm not going to mix politics and sports. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what okay. I mean. But any other than – but other than that, um, I think you would agree and I, with me, and of course I would agree with you because I, I think we both said at the same time, the initial red card Ginoc got, and then after seeing the replay, you're like, no, that shouldn't have been a red, and thank God for VAR, mm-hmm. because if VAR was not involved in the Champions League, uh, I mean, Tigris would have been down a man the rest of the way. Yeah, it's, it was one of those things that, you know, us old heads would have just kind of chalked up to it being CONCACAF, right? Uh, but luckily, VAR, I think they got the call right. Uh, you know, I, I don't think... Uh, I don't think a yellow for Gignac was unwarranted. I thought that was probably uh, the correct call. Red, I thought, was, was too harsh. I thought uh, the Orlando player probably could have seen a yellow card as well. Um, you know, there was – guys were mixed up at the, uh, you know, on the, on the ground, a little bit of pushing and shoving and elbowing. And, um, you know, uh, I, I thought the Orlando player was a little lucky to come out of that uh, without a yellow card. But, you know, it is what it is. Uh, ultimately, uh, they got it right with, with VAR and, um, you know, uh, the system worked. I want to throw this question at you because you said you felt that the head coach uh, for Tigris uh, took Orlando lightly. And I, you know, I, I wanted to get your opinion on this because obviously Tigris won this tournament a couple of years back uh, when they, you know, it was halted because of the pandemic and time it was under the club was under Tuca Ferretti's um, management. If he was still involved with Tigris or at least involved as a club manager, I believe he's retired by now. Do you feel that he would have taken Orlando a lot more seriously than Marco, than Marco Ruiz did? I don't know if Ruiz didn't 
take Orlando seriously. If that's, that's what I said, I think I misspoke. I think that just that the club, they the club is good enough where they can impose their will on most other clubs, and I didn't see them do that. I don't, I don't think it, mm. that they necessarily took them lightly. I just think that Tigres didn't play as well as they could have. They didn't kind of impose okay. their style on on Orlando. I think Orlando really got in with, with the fouls and the kind of extracurriculars, and where Tigres really should have kind of let a lot of that stuff go. They didn't. The guys were, were getting agitated. They were kind of you know, giving it back, getting more into uh, getting digs in than, than trying to, to play smart. Um, that being said, um, you know, I think Ferretti was, was always kind of the disciplinarian, um, you know, I think for a lot of his, his squads. And I, don't, I, don't, I think in that specific facet of it, they would have been better off under him. I think they would have been probably just a little bit more disciplined and that could have helped them out a lot. Um, but I, I don't think I don't think the um, that that the Ruiz necessarily took Orlando lightly. Um, I just think that that Tigres they kind of got more into their own heads than they than they needed to. They they got more um, worried about you know the, the guy that you know just cleated me or you know elbowed me after the play and and you know I'm gonna get him back instead of focusing on the task at hand. So. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's it's a hard question. It's a hard question to, to say. Uh, mm, no, I understand. I understand. I mean, look, just just going along with what you were talking about and uh, trying to see maybe you saw it that way. If not, then it's not a big deal. Don't worry about that. Um, I guess ever since, I mean, look, we all know there's plenty of talented players up and down Mexico, whichever clubs they play for in this league. Has Ginoc been... Uh, a revelation in some sorts because I mean usually if it's not a, pl- a player from Mexico it's usually someone from South America either from Brazil or Argentina or Colombia that comes to play in Liga MX what has he not done that has warranted him like so much praise with Tigres especially in Liga MX I think it's, I think he came in and really at least in my in my memory um, for for players coming to the league, he he was the the biggest name. He came in. Uh, he was still you know kind of in his prime when he when he came in. Uh, he instantly made a good Tigres team better, and he won. Um, you know, there, there's really not much more you can ask from from a player like that. He came in. He won a lot. He stayed. Um, he stayed there uh, with Tigres. He's you know he's been there for. Oh God, I don't know how, know how long now. It's probably seven, eight years, if not longer. Um, you know, he's been there. He's been their focal point for that long. He's been, inarguably, the best player. Um, you know, his role has certainly changed uh, a little bit, especially now. You know, he's been injured a lot this season. Um, I think they're kind of expecting him to to drop back a little bit. He's not. I don't think he's really going to be the focal point of, of the offense, kind of like he was. Um, you know, a couple seasons ago, but I think he's still going to be a, a dominant force, uh, even though he's going to be dropping back a little bit further. Um, he's still going to be very dangerous. He's, he can still, you know, uncork a shot from pretty much anywhere and, and cause the goalkeeper uh, concern. Um, you know, but it's, it's been good to see. I think he's really kind of endeared himself to, to Tigres fans and to, to Liga Mekis fans all over. Um, you know, he's, he's always... He's always brought it, you know. You, you see some guys uh, 
go to leagues in their in their 30s and just kind of looking for for a quick payday and uh, don't really put forth an effort. And I I can I can't ever think of a game where Gignac didn't show up and wasn't ready to fight for the shirt. And that's you know that's kind of cool to see. Uh, you know especially as a guy gets older and and uh, especially a guy of his reputation and, and stature in the game. Well, we'll see what happens with these clubs in the second leg next week. Uh, it should be exciting and a lot of fun, and we'll see which of these Mexican League teams uh, will make that advancement to the quarterfinals. Eugene, uh, can't wait to talk to you next week, uh, f- next Friday, and have a good night, and I'll keep in touch with you soon. Always a pleasure, Dan. Thanks. Thank you. Eugene Rapinski, FMF State of Mind, covering Liga MX and the Mexican national team uh, here um, now on the Four Seasons Fire American Soccer Show. Um, and let's go ahead and give you the television schedule, English, for the second leg in the round of 16 of this 2023 CONCACAF Champions League. So, Tuesday, March the 14th, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, uh, 7 o'clock Central. Austin FC will host Violet of Haiti, and that will be seen at Fox Sports 2 at the same time. The Philadelphia Union will be hosting Allianz FC of El Salvador. You can see that on Fox Soccer Plus. And the late-nighter is Atlas, as they will host Olympia of Honduras, and that will be on Fox Sports 2 at 10.05 10.05 Eastern, uh, 7.05 Pacific. And on Wednesday, March 15th, we have the MLS triple header. Real España will be hosting the Vancouver Whitecaps, and that will be seen uh, at 5.56 p.m. Eastern at 2, 2 p.m. Pacific. Orlando City will be hosting Tigres of Mexico at 8.05 Eastern, and LAFC will be hosting uh, Aluenza at BMO Stadium at 10.20 p.m. Eastern Time, 7.20 Pacific. All those matches will be on Fox Sports 2. And for Thursday, March the 16th, at 8 o'clock Eastern, Club Leon hosting Taro FC of Panama, and at 10 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Pacific, Pachuca will be taking on FC Motagua of Honduras. And once again, both those games will be on Fox Sports 1. I want to thank my guests for tonight's show. I want to thank Austin David from the Orlando Sentinel. I want to thank Matt Ralph from Philadelphia Soccer Now. I want to thank Eric Goodman from the Austin Chronicle. Araceli Villanueva from the Heart of LAFC. Michael McCool from Away From the Numbers. And Eugene Rapinski, FMF State of Mind. Join me this coming Monday night for another regular Forest Teams Fire American Soccer Show and next Friday for the second leg review show in the round of 16 of the CONCACAF Champions League. Thank you for listening to me tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Take care. So long. And bye-bye for now.